Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. My earliest recollections is finding myself at the age of five roaming the streets, eating from dumpsters. And when my father said, Amen, I opened my eyes once again. And the table was still empty. We were not able to have food at all, at all. We were forced to live with 17 of our other relatives in a very small shanty. Shacks that are bumper to bumper. No toilets. A lot of crime. If you want to be out of poverty, then you have to deal with drugs. No running water. There's a lot of rape for children. Disease was just all over the place. Some of uh, my friends were actually sold into prostitution. Kids dying for preventable causes. That's what I saw. And as darkness engulfs the place, the devil takes over. One morning, I just woke up that, you know, my uncle is just touching me in some parts of my body that I just thought to myself that this can't be happening. One day, my father was murdered right next to my mother, and I knew that moment that my life had changed. I watched as my 10-month-old sister died in the laps of my mother out of starvation. My relatives would always tell me, Michelle, you are so ugly. You look exactly like your father. You will become nothing but a thief and a drug addict when you grow up. And those were the words that I heard from people whom I expected to love and take care of me. And that made me feel so shameful of who I am. Poverty had told me I am hopeless, I am nothing. And I believed that. But right in the middle of this desperation, it was then that compassion intervened. One Sunday morning, my Aunt Carol, she's the only Christian person that I know during that time, she woke me up and said that we have to go to this church. And she registered me you know, to become um, the 37th child in that um, Compassion Project. What joy and dancing came to my home at the news that I'd finally got a sponsor. I received my first letter. We wrote back and forth. And he told me, you are my first friend outside my continent. She said words like, Richmond, I love you. Richmond, I'm praying for you. And that lightened me up. My sponsor told me, Michelle, you are beautiful. You are precious to us. We are proud of you, and we are praying for you, and we love you. And the words touch the very depth of my heart and soul. Eighteen years later, here I am, a child rescued from hopelessness by a young person. My life was changed. My life was changed. My life was changed by a teenager who sponsored me. I was sponsored by a teenager. She was 15 years old. Her name is Ashley. One teenager changed my life. She was 15. Her name was Heather. I called her mom. There were five teenagers in the family. They had one telephone landline. And instead of having a second landline, they decided to sponsor a child. And that little child that was sponsored, that's me. My name is Michelle. My name is Tony. My name is Jimmy. My name is Richmond. And one act saved my life. And one act saved my life. Saved my life. Will you act? The choice is yours. Sponsor a child through compassion today. Release a child from poverty. From poverty. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Um, he doesn't need much introduction, and we talked about him a lot, but um, I have a privilege of going to Moody uh, Seminary with his brother, and um, as a lot of you know, 
you're very generous and and partner partnering with compassion and um today is just uh i don't know it, it brought me excitement uh to to have a friend uh come up and share what it's meant to be uh, and the difference it made for him uh to grow up in uganda and, and uh be sponsored by people like you. So if we could uh, give him a warm welcome, uh, Richmond Wandera. I bring you greetings in the name of Christ, not only from me, but from many children that are across the world that you, many of you, are sponsoring. This is a good day. It's a good day for me because I did not know that one day I'd be in a place like this. I always saw myself in different places, places that are not pleasing. But yet to find myself here is a big joy. As a matter of fact, while I was sat there, there's a song that was being sung. And uh, as I began to ponder through the splendor of our king, I just thought it could only be God that rescued me from the place that I was. No arm of man was long enough to rescue me. Those were shut from before my eyes. And now to see myself rescued from the dumps and brought to a place like this, it can only be God. And so allow me, there is this one song that kept wailing in my in, in my heart as I sat there and I, I said, God, to you be the glory. Great things you have done. You alone have saved a life. And you're always saving. But it's hard to sing after such a wonderful worship team has been up here. You're used to hearing great quality sound. And, and I, I just allow me to sing if it's okay with you just to sing one stanza of this song that is in my heart. To God be the glory, great things He has done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son. Who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the floodgates that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give Him the glory. Great things He has done. Amen. This is a good day indeed. While I was sat there, I kept thinking about a couple of things. But at the same time, I kept feeling cold. And uh, it's really cold in here. <laughs> I, uh, I, I just kept saying to myself, God has a great sense of humor. How do you get someone from Uganda and take him to, of all places, to Chicago? <laughs> a place that is so cold. I, I, I remember uh, the time that I first came to Moody. It was so cold, I asked myself, what did Chicago do to the Lord? <laughs> I said, in some places he rains fire, in some places he rains cold. I am uh, amazed. I am happy today that God has done great things. I haven't always had this smile. I was, I'm just actually reminded that this is supposed to be used. I, I'm not very take fuzzy, but I'll see if I can. Oh, yeah, that works. I love technology. 
even though he doesn't love me. Um, I haven't always had this smile. In 1990, I came back from school as a little eight-year-old boy. And what I saw changed my life forever. I arrived home from school about two in the afternoon, having walked over four miles from school. And as soon as I arrived home, I found many people gathered in front of our house, our little house that was surrounded by so many other houses. And as I looked through these many people and considering how they were crying, considering the sound that was coming out of there and many people gathered, I knew something was wrong. And so I began to run down to mix with the crowd and to make it to the door to see what has happened. And as soon as I approached the house and barred by these many people, I pressed through the crowd. And as soon as I came to the front, I saw something that I will never forget. My father had just been murdered right next to my mother. And his body lay right in front of our house. As a child, I knew my life had changed. I knew that nothing was the same again. In the midst of great crying and panicking, I ran towards my father. I remember some person holding me and pulling me back, and that was my auntie. She held me and pressed me to herself. And she pressed my ears to her, and she said, Richmond, it's okay. But you don't want to know this, but mom is not here. Mom is in hospital. She was present when dad was being murdered. And they just found her collapsed next to your dad's body. Now, as a child, I did not know what to do. I started crying. I remember wailing so much with fear in me. A few weeks later on, my mother returned from hospital having not been fully treated because we did not have the financial resources to cover what the doctors required. She'd suffered a heart, a cardiac arrest. Not only that, her hypertension, which she had before, had gone even higher. And when she came back, the doctors had warned her that you cannot work. Because if you work, one day you'll just fall dead. I remember a few days after that, the landlord, who was already demanding us three months in advance, gathered I and six of my siblings and forced us out of the house because we could not pay rent. I remember standing with my mother in front of the house And as we stood there, I asked myself, what will become of me? My mother asked my auntie and said, we do not have money, we don't know where to go. But how much was collected at the vigil and how much was given for the burial? And different friends had contributed some money. And that is the money that we used to go into Naguru Kasenke, which is one of Uganda's largest slums. That's the place where we would get houses that are bumper to bumper. Many houses in one place. And in those small rooms is where we could now afford. I remember us leaving everything and carrying only that we could take. And going into this place, Naguru, the day I stepped into the dark room, I knew. I knew things would never be the same again for me. A few days passed. The money that we had was depleted. And now we began to starve. And so my mother kept crying every time she looked at us. 
Because she was weak, she was not able to provide, always bedridden. Our relatives who would have helped were all far away. They ran away with some of the properties of my dad. The person who killed my father was walking free in the community. And she was there. And as children, I remember telling my sister Doreen, we don't want to be the reason our mother keeps crying every time she looks at us. You know what? We'll wake up every day in the morning and just leave. We'll go before mom sees us. And so I remember I used to walk. My sister Doreen, she was six at the time while I was eight. And we used to wake up, come in front of the house. And I used to trust chance on her. And I used to say, Doreen, which direction should we go to now? Sometimes she could tell me this direction. Sometimes she could change it. And I immediately followed. So sometimes we would walk and find things that have been thrown. Things that are edible. We used to find, in Uganda we have what we call sugar cane. Sugar cane is, um, is some, I don't know how to describe it. But, but, but it's sweeter at the bottom. But as you go to the top, it becomes less and less sweet. So as people buy sugar cane, they'll just break off the top which they're not going to eat anyway, and throw that away. Now, that is what we used to jump for. Every so often, we would go to some streets and would find we are the first there, but sometimes some children would go ahead of us. And so as we reached into places, we, I, I did so many unbelievable things just so that my sister could eat. I remember one day, we had gone such a distance from home. It was about four in the afternoon. The reason I remember that day is because that's the day I almost gave up life. We walked such a long distance with my sister. And on that whole day we found nothing. And so it was so far away from home. Doreen told me, Richmond, we need to turn back now. It's four in the afternoon. By the time we reach home, it's going to be dead dark. And I said, sure, of course, this. Um, let's do that. And, and, but when I looked at her, she looked weak. So I said, you know, Doreen, let's, let's, let's sit down under the tree and just wait. Then after a few minutes, we'll go back. And it seemed a pleasing idea. And so I went off the road under the tree and I, I sat quickly to take my position. I looked at Doreen. My sister looked so weak. But I knew that moment I had to find food. And so I got up. I told Doreen, just could you wait for me here? Just, just wait. I am coming back. I had no idea where I was going. But I just told her, Doreen, wait. I knew there was a market down the road. I just got up and ran towards the market. And I saw this banana truck that was heading down to the marketplace. Now, friends, I did not care which car was coming from what direction. As long as I saw bananas on the truck, that was it. It marked my focus. I ran towards this truck and turned, ran on its side. And as it slowed down to make its final turn, I was able to jump, hold. In, in Uganda, we hold bananas using sticks. And I held for one of these, and I remember pulling some of the bananas and jumping right back down. And I remember walking back to my sister with bananas in my hand. She looked at me, her face changed. She smashed Richard, where did you get all that? I told her, Doreen, don't, don't even worry about it. Just, just have and eat. And as she peeled those bananas to eat, to hide was joy. But to me, I knew my circumstances and that was not going to change even in the near future. And I knew that moment. I said, things need to change. Life was so desperate for me, living every day in hopelessness. That change needed to happen. And it did. A young lady named Heather, through Compassion International, sponsored me. My mother approached Compassion and shared at the local Compassion Project, said, this is me, this is my health, but these are six of my children. All of us. And said, I don't know where they are. Nobody seems to care now. What will happen to them? And compassion told her, we'll come 
do profiles of each of them, take their bios and take their pictures and pray that someone stops to sponsor. And when that happens, we'll let you know. I remember standing there to take my picture. It was one of the best times. I put Vaseline on my face. I got cleaned up and I stood there to take my picture. Oh, I remember those pauses. We stood and they took our pictures. Four and a half months after that, I got the news that changed my life forever. I got news that the lady named Heather, she was 15 years old, had decided to sponsor me at an event. I cannot tell you the amount of dancing that that brought to my home. Most of you, I think some of you have probably been to Africa. You have visited on mission trips. You have found that as a people, as a culture, we are very rhythmic and we jump and dance a lot. Culturally, my mother's health was not well. But at that news, I still remember her dance very clearly, using her shoulders. That's what I keep reminding her even on Mother's Day. I keep doing that dance for her again. I remember her getting the news that with her shoulders, she kept dancing around. I remember that clearly. For me, I was a young man, so jumping was my style of dancing. I kept turning around. Because finally, hope had been given us. And then I got the news. To me, what I would call the immortal words that changed my life. Said Richmond from the Compassion Project Director. He said, you've got a sponsor now. Food is going to be provided for you. Not only that. Your name is going to be placed at the medical family clinic. Which is a nearby hospital. A list of all compassion children. So that any time you felt sick, even the fever of malaria, please just go. Don't even come by the project fast. Just go. Your name is going to be there. I cannot describe to you what safety that brings. I'd like to say that malaria was a real fear. Every time a person sleeps, a child sleeps, in the community in which I lived, they wake up worried that they, and hoping they were not beaten by mosquitoes. They, they look and make sure, because every time a mosquito beats, there's a bump that it leaves. And if you find yourself free, you're good. And so living in the sure fear that any time. Now, I know my friends, Bernard, Andrew, Agatha, I can mention them. I played with them one week. The next week they fall sick. The other week they say they're in the hospital for malaria. The mother is not go- has not been able to afford money to pay. And another week they are dead. I saw children being buried. Children that don't have to be buried. Mothers in pain that I cannot describe. Only because they could not afford a mosquito net. Only because they couldn't pay for malaria tablets. And so for me to get the news that Richmond, your name is at the family clinic, that was life-changing for me. It provided safety. And God did amazing things through that. As I continued to benefit through the program, they told me, Richmond, you can now go back to school. I remember those words clearly. Because I desired to go back to school. I desired to learn English and mathematics and social studies and things that my friends were studying. But that door had been closed before me. I knew there's no way. My life and my chances are on the street now. But even as God would have it, my chance was given me. I remember getting my bag going back to school with my cup. I used to have a cup in my right hand because there was porridge served at school. That was transformation happening. I must say that when I received a mosquito net to take home, I cannot describe that amount of joy. A few years later, with the help of Heather's sponsorship, I have good news for you now. The same child that lived on the street, resting in disregarded vehicles, Shut out and disregarded by poverty. Told that all chances were closed for you. 
God redeemed the child. And now that child stands before you today with a bachelor's degree in accounting. I am blessed and happy today because God is changing the world. I think about this same truth and I, and I ponder through the words of the book of Acts and I consider reading Acts chapter 3 and that's what I hope we can read today. Acts chapter 3, there is, there is something that, that is, is part of this story where the church has just been formed and, and launched. And after this great experience where Peter is speaking and, 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 and the ex- churches begin to experience Christ in action, who is this Jesus? And we come to the place in Acts chapter 3 after the Holy Spirit has been given to the church. And Peter has addressed the crowd that thinks they are drunk. No, they are speaking in the Spirit. Each one their own different languages. And in chapter 3, we find a very unique story of Peter and John. The Bible says in chapter 3 of Acts, from verses 1, that one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At three in the afternoon. It's amazing the things that happen when people take time to pray. It's amazing the themes that come up in someone's life, what people get passionate about when they take time to pray, when they take time to listen to the heart of God. It's amazing. And when someone is attuned to the things of God, the things that are near and dear to the heart of God become near and dear to them too. In a world like the United States where, from my perspective, I've found that there are so many distractions, things that are calling up to you. Don't just sit there. Do something. Hey, how about this? Oh no, how about this? Are you coming now? In the midst of this very fast-paced world, it's very easy for us to get distracted. But every time you pause and say, I'm going to the point of prayer, it's amazing the things that happen from those places. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at a time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get some money from them. But then Peter said, silver and gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and anchors became strong. And he jumped up to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. I want to infer from this and just to say to us that there are people who are crippled from birth. There are people who suffer things that then are not their own making. But then we have the greatest treasure. We have what the world needs. We have what these people are craving for. Jesus, which is the Christ. He's the only one that makes the true difference. I told my sponsor, I said, if I was just handed money and something to help me in school, something to have clothes on my back, without Christ, without a place like compassion using the local church, if the church wasn't part of this, I would be changed on the outside. But on the inside, the same bitterness that I had towards the man who killed my father would still exist. 
I kept as a young boy promising myself, because that man lived in our community, I kept promising myself that one day I'll grow up. One day I will. And I say, so I kept saying him walking through. I said, one day I'll grow up. But if just aid was provided without Christ, if I was released from poverty from any other name apart from the name of Jesus, my life would not be changed. Well, I want to say that Heather loved me to Christ. She wrote me letters. Heather wrote me letters. In her letters she said words I clearly remember because I read her letters over and over again. In her letters she said words like, Richmond, I love you. Now I thought to myself, you you don't even know me. How, How do you say you love me? But then she said it again, Richmond, I love you. And she said it again, Richmond, I love you. Until one day my heart just broke. She does. And I can tell you, friends, that those are such powerful words that in a community like mine where they are hardly ever even mentioned, not even in the air, those are words that we long as children to experience. To know that someone thinks I matter as a child. I've seen many children giving up. But I was rescued by God. Jesus, which is the Christ. This is what the Bible says in verse 2. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him. Now, it's, it's always amazing Considering that Peter, there's always passing by someone who's begging. And you're like, oh, oh yeah, this is one of the person who's begging. But I can tell you that every time you stop and look straight at a person who is begging. And take time. The Bible says Peter looked intently at him. You are moved with compassion. I have learned through this time opportunity to study at theology that human beings are eternal. They're the only thing on earth that is eternal. Human beings. That's why the eyes and the person, you can invest in many other great things, but the one great thing to invest in is a human being. Life can be so fast that books and papers and reports become the most important thing. And we forget the things that are eternal. That God himself calls his image, God's very handiwork, who takes time to count their hairs. And Peter looked intently at him. And he said, in the name of Christ, walk. I want to say that we have what the world needs. You have what the world is needing. And you are able to help. Even now. I must say that. You have what the world is needing. And you are able to help. Even now. I must say. That I'm trying to click. Oh, okay. That child was loved to Christ. Now, later on, fast forward, Heather, 15 year old observing and walking with me. June the 3rd, 1996, I experienced her love in such a way that at the Compassion Project, we were shared too about Christ. I said, Christ is invisible, but He came and He died for you. And I remember June the 3rd, 1996, connecting the relationship between Heather. I know Heather loves me. I have never physically seen her, but I can relate to that love of a person I do not physically see. 
on June the 3rd, 1996, I connected Heather's experience with me directly with relating with Christ, a person who I do not physically see, yet I hear that He loves me. And that made it easy for me to believe. June the 3rd, 1996, I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And fast forward a few years, I began to ask Heather, I said, what can I ever do to say thank you? And God began to place in my heart a passion, a passion to pray, the Lord, will you love others through me? And God has done that. Right now, I am the pastor of the very church I joined as a compassion child. The child of poverty is now a man of faith. This can only be the work of God. I'd like to say that during my experience at the local church, compassion works through the local church. And I'm so glad it does because the pastors already, their hearts love the community, already broken for the community. And so for me to go into the pastor's care, I remember him speaking to us as children, telling us Bible stories, like the same way we just experienced right now. Although it was a bit different. There was no Marion, there was no Ha-Ha, Joseph, I'm busy, busy, busy. There was no that. But what, what, was, what was there was, my, my pastor kept talking, and in Africa we tell a lot of stories as well. So I remember my pastor talking, and as he came down to speak to us, I, was sitting, I liked sitting at the front. So I remember him laying his hand on me while he was telling the, you know, telling the story. And then after some point, he, he walked on. But I remember, I can never forget that hand. It made me feel now like I am okay, like I have a father now. Like I was safe now. And that is why I am so proud that compassion works through the local church. Because apart from that, I would be long gone. I would never have experienced that. That kind of love that a pastor is able to give. And so when I got a chance to come to Moody Bible Institute, passionate about pastoral ministry... I learned things that I wished I knew before I started ministry five years ago. And so God led me to begin a ministry called the Pastors Discipleship Network to try to teach what I have learned to the pastors in my country. Passionate because I know once the pastor who is the spiritual caregiver of children, once he's equipped, the children are safe. He's able to love on them the way Christ would love on them. And so that is my newfound passion now. I must say that Africa's leaders are being raised through compassion. Janifa Gitiri is a friend of mine in Kenya. She's a lawyer, one of the leading lawyers in Kenya, a former compassion-sponsored child. Janifa Gitiri, she talks to me, she says, Richmond, I cannot believe how people are taking advantage of children. I will do everything that is possible to do by the help of God, until every child is defended. And she's passionate about that. Different lawyers and friends of mine, former compassion graduates, people now in the military, saying we will do our best until justice is restored. There's some things that were stolen from us cannot be continued to be stolen. And so, Africa's most critical need is leaders. And leaders who understand poverty and Approach it in the name of Christ. I want to say that compassion changed my sponsor. This is my sponsor's husband, Rick and Robinson. He came down and, and he, he attended my graduation in Uganda. I was surprised to come one day and be told, Richmond, you have a big surprise. Rick, Robinson, Heather, and all their four children now have come. To attend your graduation. I, I cannot describe how much love God has given me. Only God. And only in his name can things like this happen. 
Because he's a big God. He's a great God. He's the creator of the universe. I must say that sponsorship changes the body. My mother, who is weak in her health, at the last conference I was teaching out, I was teaching pastors the things I had learned and training them in how to read the Bible and teach it accurately. And my mother said, I've been praying for you, my son, and today I might have the strength to be able to make it. The lady in the middle there is my mother at one of the conferences I was teaching. God has worked in her. Her high potential has come down because now she thinks Christ is her newfound husband. The gospel changes. That's me teaching some of the pastors back. And my ministry, the Pastors Discipleship Network, has continued to grow. Pastors are discovering that the Word of God is rich and it needs to be learned. Many pastors like myself became a pastor without any theological training. That's how it is in Uganda. Pastors just wake up. Who volunteers to be the pastor? And then one person shows up and says, oh, Well, since there's no one, I will be the pastor. That's how it happens. And so it's just a big recipe for heresy. And the teaching and the cults, the number of cults in Africa is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So Satan has used that to come in as well. But so, what I have learned at Moody, I'm now saying, God, the Bible is so rich, it's so powerful, we must learn how to read it accurately and teach it accurately. And so God is now using me as a voice in my country to teach pastors to do the same. This all would never have happened apart from one day, one girl. Just deciding, making a private decision that I'm going to honor Christ. I'm going to consider the things that are near and dear to the heart of God. And God, from that gift that she gave, has risen up a leader for the nation of Uganda. I must say that the need continues to exist. And my call for continued people who are raising up and praying for Christ to do big things. And it's always confusing to me how a person can raise their hands and say, God, I want to serve you, I want to do these big things for you. Yet all the while, there is a child asking for their attention on their side. And God calls us to live simply so that others can simply live. We don't need Nine pairs of shoes. How great are our legs, right? We don't need to change our hairstyles every two days. How great is that? We don't need four Starbucks a day. Yet someone can survive on that one. Let us consider how misled some of the culture has thrown to us. There's a big confusion between needs and wants. And Christ calls us to do this. I believe that it begins with you. It begins with you. Transformation begins with one child. One child. I'd like even right now to say that there are words that I read in Ecclesiastes, that reminded me of what my mother might have been feeling at the time. And let me first read the words that my mother says described her heart the most in the time she was going through this great need. Lamentations chapter 1 and verses 16. Lamentations chapter 1 and verses 16. This is why I weep. This is why I weep, and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me, no one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. My mother reading through the Bible says, this is exactly how I felt, and I cannot remember the day when she was free from this until when she accepted Christ. 
I must say even now that I think very highly of my sponsor for her making a decision to live a little simpler so that someone like me can simply live. I think of her the same way Job said of himself. Job chapter 29 and verses 11. Whoever heard me spoke well of me. And those who saw me commended me. Because I rescued the poor who cried for help. And the fatherless who had none to assist them. The man who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was the eyes for the blind and feet for the lame. I was the father to the needy. I took up the case of a stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims out of the enemy's teeth. In the Lord's name. That's what Job was saying of himself. Tell me of one orphan who I know that continued to cry. And I did not do anything about it. And Job speaks of himself very confidently, saying, This is the ways of God. I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that God is calling the church today to consider the things that are eternal, the things that really matter, the things that we will speak before Him on that great day. I believe that one day we will be. Before God. And I believe that on that day. We will speak about what we did. With Jesus who is the Christ. And I believe that we will also speak about. What we learned from Jesus himself. We will speak in terms of the things that we did. In his name. And I believe that on that great day. He will declare to you. Many of you that are even sponsors today. Saying that well done. Good and faithful servant. For I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. I believe people are eternal. And every time you greet and touch some life, they are eternal. I'd like to say that even now as I conclude that God has allowed many of you to touch lives. And we have one great word we use in Uganda. Which word is Asante Sana. Asante Sana. We usually go down on one knee. I want to say, Asante Sana, when someone does a huge favor for you. And so I want to do that on behalf of the children that are around the world. If I, if I spoke Spanish, I would say, Mucho gracias. But I speak Ugandan, and so I'll say, Asante Sana. For those of you that are continually giving to this little child and taking time off to write, one thing that is common among the rich and the poor is that God has trusted them with one thing, which is time. And they can all give time. The poor can write to you. But you can also get time to write to that child and tell him the things of God. One of the reasons I'm ministering mostly to pastors is because I know their position. I prepared something small that is going to be in my conclusion that I hope that you can watch even right now. A really brief uh, two-minute video of what God is doing in my country now.
God is doing great things through the Pastors Discipleship Network. I have so far had about two groups that have come and joined me in serving poor. I pray that today, if you have a Bible to spare, you would consider sending that over to my ministry. We need these Bibles desperately. God's word is still good. Amen. May the Lord richly bless you. Asante sana. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.